Hello, and may I wish you a warm welcome to the inaugural episode of the Dale Hurst Writing Show. I am the titular Dale Hurst novelist, journalist and broadcaster, and this is my new podcast in which over the coming weeks some special guests and I will discuss issues relating to writing, publishing and storytelling. My guests will include poets, editors, filmmakers, songwriters, playwrights, publishers and of course authors at various points in their literary careers. I do hope you'll stick with us over the course of the season as we explore things such as perfecting the art of writing a thriller and whether true crime place is in documentary or drama. For now, welcome to the show. Our first episode is dedicated to the idea of keeping fantasy fresh. Fantasy, particularly high fantasy, is, to put it bluntly, more or less done to death as a genre, if that is. People insist on following the formulae set by the linchpins of the genre, such as Tolkien and latterly uh, George R. R. Martin. What can be done, and what is presently being done, to break from the mould and create a fantasy story that still fits the genre, but also brings something new to the game? That's going to be sort of the core of this episode and our discussion. And my guest for this episode is a young entrepreneur, photographer, and most importantly, author in the earlier stages of of writing his debut fantasy novel, currently under the title of Risen King. I hope you are as keen as I am to learn more about it and thoughts on fantasy writing from the one and only Mr. Daniel Pride. Welcome, Dan. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. And how are you? Yeah, not doing too badly, thank you. Not too bad. Thank you very much for agreeing to join us on our first little adventure into this, uh, into the writing podcast world. <laughs> pleasure as always, pleasure mm. as always. Well, um, I was hoping before we get underway with the main sort of discussion, uh, if you wouldn't mind just beginning by giving us a bit of an overview on your book, sort of a general idea of the plot yeah. and, and the writing status thereof as well, the sort of the stage you're at. Yeah, definitely. So, as you said, um, it's planning to hopefully, in theory, try to do a trilogy. If not, just just make it the, the two books um, under the Alaire name. So it'll be sort of the Alaire series. Maybe branch out, but it'll be under a different name under those guys. But yes, as you said, the first book's going to be titled Risen King, uh, which hints that doesn't hint. I mean, you, you'll find out. There's lots of things that come and go and change, and you know that's all good fun. Trying to hopefully try and break a few of the molds with the stereotypical sort of fantasy genre that's obviously been set up by the amazing you know Tolkien who's you know I think personally the pinnacle the, the very best you know you, you've got George R. R. Martin but Tolkien takes the biscuit definitely. of course he, he's up there especially you know with the Bournemouth history as well he, he's very you know famed and well ingrained in the local culture but no I mean the writing the writing is slowly getting there I'd, I'd say maybe sort of halfway writing through the book there's a lot more to do there's a lot more to go back just change details um, and I'm trying to stru- structure it slightly differently compared to sort of my uh, more famous counterparts. Whereas mm. you know, you've got Lord of the Rings, you've got The Hobbits, you've got A Song of Fire and Ice, where they're big, big, beastie books. Yeah. And I find that especially, you know, with people that don't necessarily, in- it sounds bad, but don't necessarily enjoy reading or they want to read, but they haven't got the time to sit down and read a mammoth book. 
Mm. I want to sort of try and minimalise and capitalise on it. We're telling a big grand story over a slightly smaller book. You know, there's people that enjoy just reading over a summer or something, or you know, going down to the beach and they can pick up, you know, a story here and there. So, whilst I'm not trying to do a great big behemoth of the book, mm. uh, I am trying to do something that people can sit down, read, or you know, debating how to release it at the minute. You know, I could easily do the first book as you know parts on Kindle. You could do like a chapter every month, or you could do a chapter you know every week or so to keep you know people buying or intrigued to see what's going to happen next mm. I think that's got, like i think this is definitely a way that people are, are evolving their sort of stories you know it's the way the comics have been doing it for the last what 100 years now well yeah exactly exactly it's, so that's quite a clever way to release it but yeah no we got taron who's the main protagonist of this story um he's going to be going forward he's got a very shadowed past uh won't go too much into too much detail about that one um, no. but he's got a very shadowed past um, that's going to slowly uncover through the story. It's going to be something that he battles personally. Yeah, and it, you know he's going to be seeing sort of ghosts of his past. He's going to be seeing people, you know, the from his past that are still alive, and they're going to prop up and cause him all sort of rounds of trouble and chaos <laughs> into the folds of the world of Barium. which will be all good fun. Fantastic! Now that's what we like to hear. Lots of conflict. <laughs> Lots of conflict. Oh yes, that's how you keep the pages turning. That's it. So, we're going to begin the discussion then by sort of exploring the question, why is fantasy such a go-to for aspiring authors? What makes it such mm. a popular genre? I mean, for for instance, what attracted you to the genre when you first sort of wanted to get into writing? When I was younger, I, I grew up very much, I mean, this is when I was, before I, I was necessarily reading, I was always watching Lord of the Rings or, you know, my favourite movie to this day since I was this, I mean, is Dragonheart. It's um, Dennis Quaid and okay. uh, Sean Connery. One of the greatest, personally, films in sort of my eyes, and it's sort of the predecessor to uh, a lot of the tech behind Jurassic Park. Oh, so, okay. You know, that, that back then, it was crazy. I mean, this is before VHS. This was all on Laserdisc. So oh. this is very old. Mm. Um, and, you know, just the story of, you know, uh, a, a man and a dragon who he starts off enemies with, you know... It, 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 as a child, it makes the mind wander, and you know all the possibilities. And it's that that sort of kept me inspired. You know, went into school in primary school, and you know the challenge was who can read the biggest book. So everyone naturally jumped straight to The Hobbit. Yeah, you know, that, that's a decent sized book in itself, and that would be the go-to. So you know, I grew up re reading The Hobbit and Tolkien, and he's always been up there as you know the the, the pinnacle for me and the number one go-to. You know, the details that he writes and. I mean, you look at sort of the appendices that he writes as well for the Lord of the Rings series. Mm. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes that he does go into detail about. You know, you've got the movies where you know you've got all the political characters, but if you read the books, you've got uh, people like Legolas's dad, Thanduril, uh, mm -hmm. um, who actually has a massive part in the main story, but you don't necessarily get that from the movies or the audio books. So it's something that reading definitely has a benefit of, and I've sort of grown to appreciate through the years. But it's Fantasy. I mean, for upcoming writers, you have to look at fantasy as as, as a genre. Fantasy in, in itself is anything that you can imagine. If you mm. can imagine it, it's pretty much doable. You know, even sci-fi. I think personally, that falls under a particular gaze of fantasy because whilst it's set in the future, it's not necessarily got your elves, your dwarves. It's a realm of fantasy. These, you know, that you have to take, to take into account. You know, even comics and stuff. You know. That's all fantasy. It's all make believe. That's just part of the superhero fantasy genre. So really, when you sort of ask yourself, um, you know, what what draws people to fantasy is what can they imagine? 
what what have they got going on? Whether that you know that does fall under elves, trolls, or you know aliens, you know it all blurs together. I mean, you got you know stories from around the world, you know folklore and stuff, where you've got sort of stories of legends, but then you also got stories of um, aliens and stuff in the exact same thing. I mean, mm. series that I'm watching at the minute, you've got um, it's called the Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. Historically, it's all folklore and legend and sort of almost very sort of fairy tale or um, fantasy. Okay. But whilst they're sort of looking more into it, there's more sort of alien aspects to it. So, you know, whilst you've got those things, it's very much a very fantastical thing and you just have to look at it from a broader sense, personally. Mm. So as to why, you know, if you, if, as I said, if you can imagine it, you, you can probably write about it. You know? Sure. I mean, yeah, and, and we're going to come in, come on to sort of um, folklore and myths and legends a little bit later on because speaking for myself who has dabbled in fantasy writing but never sort of <laughs> taken it up never really found my feet with it but always been very interested in sort of folklore and that kind of thing yeah it has a massive part to play obviously as it is such a popular genre though there are a lot of conventions in fantasy fiction that have been done to death as i said and uh, one of the ideas behind this discussion is finding a way ways around those common conventions that sort of breaking those tropes and uh, it can be something that face value is is quite simple um we spoke about george rr R. martin in uh, in his uh, song of ice and fire series he uh, for example made dwarves actual sufferers of dwarfism as opposed to being an entirely separate race i could have sworn i read that somewhere that he did that deliberately to challenge that high fantasy trope that was popularized by Tolkien and obviously draws from ancient Norse mythology. Yes. Obviously, I've taken a look at the prologue that you sent me. For someone who understands business, I, I'm sort of tempted to ask you, what would you call your book's unique selling point or unique selling points? The best way to put it without giving sort of too much away is it's very much an investigative story into the character's past. Mm-hmm. You're going to find out slowly through different situations and scenarios why he does the things that he does, why he's so brash, why he's almost starts off arrogant i mean we're meeting taron in his earlier life and he's going to be sort of slightly more arrogant he's you know he's been taught the skills from a particular character that he needs to survive in this world and through that he's got an arrogance through sort of not much care really because he's been cast out from his own home everyone's turned his back on him you know family you know but that's going to be one of the key points of these novels is family i want it to sort of start there and it's going to be people's driven reasons for things i mean george r, r. martin was very famous for it all the characters, even, you know, Lannisters, everything they did was the family. Yes. And so, you know, that's going to be a driving point, but it's why do the characters do the things they do and why do they feel the way they feel? And it's going to be something that's uncovered slowly through the books that is going to be sort of eked out, you know, it's like raking or uh, like wringing out a wet tea towel or something. Mm-hmm. It's slow and hard, but we'll get there. And it'll be almost an, an investigative story because some of the other characters don't know what's going on, what his history is, what his background is. Mm. And so you're going to be on sort of par with some of the actual characters in the book because nobody else necessarily knows what's going on. I see. Um, so it's going to be quite a fun, quirky way to uncover that one. But again, it's also turning those famous fantasy tropes sort of on their head or putting a slightly different spin on it, you know. Ideally, I'd like to try and do something like a mix of both Tolkien and George R. R. Martin, you yeah. know, where Lord of the Rings, you know, in its core is very light, as a fantasy goes, compared to R. R. Martin, where he literally made it the darkest, bloodiest, goriest <laughs> thing that he could possibly make. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the Red Wedding alone. Yes. It's probably one of the most famous scenes in both television and novel ever written. Mm-hmm. And simply because it's so violent. Yeah. 
so it, it's it's about meeting that sort of easy to read book investigative and also dark at the same time for a slightly more mature audience yeah slightly mature themes um so that'll probably be the the the, the best selling point easy to read book dark themes whilst also being a bit of fun yeah for anyone to read <laughs> i see Now, uh, one thing that I noticed, actually, in just reading the prologue, which I haven't seen in a fantasy novel before, is that you haven't used the Norse influences as bases for your own characters. You've actually made the same gods part of your story world instead, which is, you know, quite... I don't know why no one... I'm sure other people must have thought about that, but, uh, you know, um, and if they haven't, you know, I, I'm almost like to think of myself. Why didn't I think of that? You, so you've you've created a bridge or a parallel almost between the real ancient Norse tradition yes. and that of your story world. What I sort mean, of uh, led that decision? I mean, I've always been amazed by you know the um, both you know Roman and the Norse gods. They are you know even Greek gods as well. You know, it's incredible. Some of the stuff that you read is beyond crazy. You know, you've got. Boulder, you've got Zeus, you've got um, Hades, you've got so many amazing characters that could easily be deployed within novels and stuff, which I'm sure has been done. Mm -hmm. You know, there are countless stories out there. But I, I wanted to find a way that I haven't even necessarily said to you yet, but there's a way that I want to incorporate as many of the gods that I can, almost like an Olympus type thing where all the gods almost ever reside within one realm I see. they're sort of looking down from their sort of high castle upon the world mm. and sh shaping it how they see fit i mean one of the inspirations for that was the uh, infamously famous god of war series all right where you've got kratos and he's going around and there are all these different gods you've got norse you've got the roman gods you've got so you know zeus his father is zeus you know or odin or whoever it is coming exactly but you have got those gods there, and it does play a part into that sort of fantasy aspect. So, you know, that was probably one of the sort of the leading factors as to why I did that. But definitely, I thought it'd be quite a fun thing to sort of challenge within the common fantasy trope, whilst I've still got elves, whilst I've still got dwarves, whilst I've still got dragons, you know. I've got the core fantasy there, but I thought I'd completely flip it on its head and add a sense of godlike beings into the mix. You know, the, in sort of one of the later books, something's going to happen, and Taran's faced with these gods, and he's got to make a decision. Hmm. Whether that's working with the gods, whether that's working against the gods, it's going to be something that we'll uncover hopefully by book three, or you know, <laughs> face with a, that decision in book three, give or take. I so see. wait and see. Mm, indeed. <laughs> now it's interesting because uh, I mean I find that you know fa fantasy novels are inspired in part or in full by one of two things. They are either it's either via comparable works such as Lord of the Rings, Game yeah. of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> I, I once had someone talking to me about a book that they were writing, a fantasy novel that they were writing. That uh, they said they began. It's never a good thing when they said it's not. Uh, it's not really based on Game of Thrones, but it does have. Oh it does have wolves and it does have dragons and. Yeah. It, it has uh, instead of crows he had magpies it was called the magpies of autumn and uh, yeah much as he was uh, telling me uh, yeah it's not not at all based on game of thrones it was remarkably similar to game of thrones so uh, yeah yeah i mean it's very difficult sometimes because you do read stuff like game of thrones or you watch it you do draw inspiration from it and, mm. you know as, as a writer sometimes you do find it hard and you sort of have to sort of draw yourself away from these points especially with fantasy because mm. there's so many there's so much fantasy out there yeah 
that you know you find yourself fighting these tropes like probably one of the best examples that i could give is um the witcher series of books oh probably yeah one of my favorite i mean it's up there with game of thrones and lord of the rings it's probably one of the greatest if, it, if no one's read them read them or you know start with the, the the netflix series that's just beyond amazing with the famous henry cavill mm-hmm. but you know it, it, it's about a very down-to-earth character who in you know ultimately helps this young princess and that's sort of where i've drawn a lot of my inspiration from um whilst also spinning the famous fantasy tropes as i said yeah but you know that's where i've drawn a lot of my inspiration from and i said oh well, hang on a minute i've got to draw back a little bit because there are things that i sort of write and i go yeah that sounds exactly like what i've just read in that previous book mm. so right scrap that completely or if i'm not going to scrap it completely how can i change it in my own way what's what's unique about that that moment or that scene that's going to affect the character in the opposite direction yeah yeah which i think is something that um george r, r. martin did very well is he defeated those expectations and he had you know there, there are scenes in game of thrones that you can look at and you can recognize oh yeah that's from so-and-so book or you know there are things that you recognize but he's very very good at flipping those traditional or predictable things completely 360 killing mm. john snow off i mean was probably one of the greatest things of all time where you've got a character who's done the ultimate great thing and then now he's done yeah yeah you know, mm. very good at that that's one of the best things that you know about his works that makes him famous for it is he just doesn't care and he'll kill anyone he wants off yeah sorry spoiler alert if anyone has no. game of thrones you're a bit late to the party if you haven't already. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Our target audience is uh, is for people who have definitely, especially for this episode anyway, should have uh, should have at least uh, got that far in the series, whether novel or uh, television series, either one. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the other way, of course, to sort of inspire a fantasy novel is, as we were talking about, is through uh, reading or studying or looking into, anyway, folklore and mythology <laughs> from ancient times in in many cases as in this case uh, in, yeah. in the case of risen king is uh, at least from where i was standing when i wrote this script anyway it's norse mythology but obviously you're integrating others as well um yeah. so um, and yeah i mean it's not always norse mythology but i find that uh, you can tell when it is uh, yeah. inspired by norse mythology anyway there obviously is a wide variety of other ancient cultures with their own myths and legends that authors can draw from and i think this is one of the ways that people can sort of uh, keep fantasy writing fresh is by sort of thinking outside the classicals mm. of the greek and the roman oh, the yeah. norse um there isn't actually that much there's less than people would imagine i think inspired by ancient egyptian um yeah that's a very good point there isn't much that is ancient egyptian i think it definitely i think it is something that people are sort of cottoning onto and there are you know slowly more slightly egyptian things that are coming out mm. but definitely i mean you know the egyptian gods they are i mean when, when you think about it they're incredible the stories that they have you know mm. when you actually look into it is incredible and it, you know it does run similar similarly to um some of you know example the norse roman greek gods as well yeah. so you know that would be something that actually the thing about it now i could incorporate in my book and i could have some of those you know where you've got you know set and you know so many different gods that can play a part in these in- integral things. For, for you know, for all you know, like it could be some of the same gods. You could combine the gods into one. Yes. And you could have you know Egyptian gods combined with Norse gods, and they're actually the same person, but told through different perspectives of different people around the world. You know, that's the potential mm, for a book. Exactly. So, but in preparation for this um, episode, I kind of uh, thought uh, about 
exploring even further. I mean, I love ancient Egyptian folklore, always have. But here was uh, there were a couple that I sort of decided I wanted to look in on. One of them is uh, Lithuanian mythology, because uh, yeah. who knew that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no. This see, this is what I mean. You know, you can probably look at any country in the world that whether it exists now or did. Historically. Yeah, historically, exactly. But they have their own myths and legends. I mean, I there was one that because I used to work with a girl called Ostea, hmm. um, which is a, which is a lovely name as it is. It is actually a Lithuanian goddess's name. She is the goddess of bees. Wow. which I think is such a pretty thing. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but just something that when I read that, I just said, Ostea, the goddess of bees. I thought, now that is, <laughs> you don't, that's not something you'd think of immediately. And yet yeah. if you saw it in a book, you, well, you could definitely frame a story around it. And the, my great regret, I couldn't actually find a specific myth to sort of um, relay about her. But um, yeah, they, they, have a, they have a fair few like all the celestial bodies so all the planets for example they are seen as a family and there is actually a a myth uh also known as the celestial marriage drama wow yes and i mean some of these names as well i mean lithuanian i've i've studied the language to a tiny sort of very <laughs> very very superficial level a bit here and there. uh yes but some of the names for these um for these places uh, the ausrine uh, is venus but also Vakarina is also Venus. It's between the morning and the evening star. In oh, yeah. Indraya is Jupiter. And Jedre, no, Jezdre is Mars. <laughs> so, I mean, good names, they are lovely names in, in a uh, weird way. But yeah, see, I, I, I like drawing on things like that for, yeah, regardless of what genre I'm writing, I like just looking at the names of other things in yeah. these languages and sort it's of... Like Drawing um, on those. One of the old um, Dorset names for a bumblebee is a Dumbledore. Ah, yes. Where the inspiration came from, obviously, J.K. Rowling's The Harry Potter series. Mm. So, which I thought was incredible. I didn't realise. And then I went out for a walk at one of the local big houses. I think it was Kingston Lacey. Oh, yeah. House. If, anyone, if anyone ever wants to get out for a fun day, Kingston Lacey. Stunning. But yeah, they we got a trail and it had lots of old names with you know old Dorset words for different things. And yeah, weirdly, Dumbledore was a name for a bee. No, old ye Dorset language. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, sometimes it's just the older language that you can delve into, and you know, like you said, other languages, old languages, new languages. You can do so much with it. It's crazy. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the listener, by the way, both Dan and myself are from the same place uh, in the south of the UK in Dorset. Um, just in case we have any, <laughs> just in case we uh, manage to get this out of the UK and uh, have some yeah. international listeners listening. Um, <laughs> um, another thing, another character actually that I found that um, I think I was actually taught about them when I was in first school. It, it, when I read it, it, it struck a chord, but I can't remember from where. But it's actually from African mythology, and it's uh, um, a Nancy, which is. Uh, the which is a it's a trickster god oh, but so more like often than not it yes but more yeah. on often than not he takes the form of a spider oh like a tarantula wow mm. have we have we really heard the name i couldn't tell you anything about the name but i've definitely heard the name somewhere before mm. yeah i think i think that i think they do sort of well at least they did when i was a kid i'm pretty sure that they taught you about stories from across the world maybe mm. and it, and it came up 
somehow or other. But yeah, so mm, that was another one. I thought, like you say, Loki, obviously, um, at time of recording, Loki was still uh, airing its first series on Disney Plus. So uh, he's very much in the public eye at the moment. Yeah, so this is uh, Africa's equivalent, and he uh, is uh, ma- mainly in the guise of a tarantula. Wow. Always fun. Research on that one, then. Mm, yes, well, I, shall, uh, I shall send it to you later, the, uh, yeah. the name. Mm, did you have any that you wanted to mention, any sort of uh, um, weird and wonderful ones? Not necessarily sort of gods or folklore. I mean, you've got, uh, or, or I'd like to introduce, is um, you've got the Mayan Empire. Oh yeah. Not necessarily characters, but you know, but they had the whole 2012 calendar mm-hmm. that predicted the end of the world, which was well, was historically very accurate with a lot of things that happened around the world. Unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately, fortunately, not 2012. I mean, we're all still here today, 2021. But you know, that that that's a massive thing that did shape and shake the planet of the Earth. You know, people, you know, including myself, we really did believe that hey, today actually could be the end of the world mm-hmm. if it does come. You know. I mean, my mother sent me, you know, if, if the world d- d- does end today, then, you know, I love you and David, you know, all the usuals. But fortunately, <laughs> you know, it didn't go to plot. But, you know, that is something that I sort of, I, I'd like to sort of try and in, introduce that, you know, something that happens to a race in my book is fated or isn't fated. You know, is it the will of the gods? Is it predicted? Is it not predicted? And I'll leave you with that question. I want there to be questions as to why, you know, why did they predict it? How did they predict it? Was it always planned? Was it not planned? Hmm. So I think that would be quite a fun trope to sort of spin on its head where it's going to leave you questioning why? Why Why? Why did that happen? Or, you know, definitely the the, the Mayan Empire, you know, it wasn't around, I mean, it was around for a good period of time, but they just vanished. Yeah. And no one knows, you know, what happens. They've left evidence that they were here, but there is no, no evidence as to where they went, what happened. I mean, we've got an idea that it was like a Spanish flu or, you know, something that the Spanish brought over. We might one day find out, but at the minute, we just don't know. No. Which I guess is part of the fun fantasy trope of it is, you know, you can do anything you like with it. You know, if you mm. that story, they could have just got vanished, they could have all died, they could have all moved, and they could be living on a distant island somewhere. It's like that you've also got the island that's completely cut off from society. Yeah. Um, which I think is very famous, you know, and that, that, that's a good one you can do. You could have like a whole tribe of like, in the fantasy example, you could have like a tribe of elves that are living on an island and they're killing anyone that comes near it. Why? Are they protecting something? Are they not protecting something? You know, that's quite a fun spin-off that someone could do. Yeah. I mean, that Anyone's was... welcome to steal that if they want it. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, it sounds like just when you were describing it just then, it sounds like the sort of thing that would be quite fun to sort of play around with yeah. and explore and expand. Um, experimental. Mm. But well, that's what we need. That's as I say again. That's kind of the point of the of the topic is to you know what are people willing to sort of think outside the uh, yeah the the it's template. It's how things grow and change, isn't it? You know, fancy. Mm. I mean, yeah, you look at fancy a couple of what hundred years ago, and it was very cheesy. It was very light. I mean, you look at um, the behind the scenes stuff of the Lord of the Rings. You know, they go on to talk about how the elves, you know, were more like fairies and you know traditional mythology and sort of tales, compared to you look at sort of elves now and they're you know amazing, smart, ancient warriors, and mm. it's completely flipped that trope on its head. Whilst you know you have got the wood elves who are slightly more brash and slightly more harsh, compared to sort of the high elves um, that you meet, and you know they're slightly more wise and forgiving, and it's just they're very different. And I think the fantasy is always growing. I mean, again. George R. Martin, he's completely flipped fancy on his head where we're now entering a realm where fancy is much darker. Yeah. You know, but before that, I don't think anyone would have gone near writing a dark fantasy novel because that's not what it was about. Fantasy was life. It mm. was, you know, a happy thing that people sort of got into. I mean, the Lord of the Rings are dark moments, sure, but 
Yeah, no, I mean, no, probably no darker than what they showed in Harry Potter, really. I mean, at the end of the day, they were written more as children's books than yeah. than adult that, reading. That's how, how it started, and, you know, people have adopted it. And you look at Comic-Cons to this day, stories and stuff that are put out, and people are in love with it. Yeah. You know, still to this day, you, could, you know, I've read The Hobbit as a child, and I still love it to this day, you know, it's mm. a very good book. Of so course. it's something that you do carry forward, and it does evolve. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the where I was going, uh, another thing that I was uh, going to mention, actually, my, my cousin, who's a uh, the poet and musician, uh, S.P. Yeah. Thane, uh, once uh, he told me about one of his projects that was partly inspired by a mix of uh, Japanese and Polish mythologies, yeah. which which is an interesting mix. I couldn't give you specifics, yeah. but, uh, you know, the, obviously the, the Eastern cultures are quite you know, sort of noted, yeah. notedly different to the West. So to blend those together is quite an interesting idea, I thought. Yeah, that'd be a very interesting idea. I'd like to see someone put that into a some form of novel or sort of background, or even if it's, you know, someone from Japan going over to, you know, Poland or wherever, mm. sort of experiencing their cultures and seeing how similar or different it is. You know, mm. you, you could easily make it very fantastical and adding, you know, making it a Japanese samurai or, you know, a Japanese... Or even an ex... Japanese samurai that's been banished out and turned to becoming a ninja, you know. Yeah. That could be something, and they're, you know, adventuring across Europe or, you know, Eastern Europe um, and experiencing learning the cultures before returning home to vanquish la di da di da. So, yeah, that'd be, I think that'd, that'd be a, a great read. I'd like mm. to see someone sort of jump on that trope, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think another thing, this is, this is the problem. This is why. Um, you know, we need to sort of break the mold fantasy-wise, is there are some fantasy novels and series thereof who convincingly for a time reinvent the wheel until we get wise to it and then opinions yeah. change and stuff. I mean, I don't know if you were familiar with the Aragon series. The, yeah, the, yeah. I love those books so mm. much. You know, it, that's very, very deep in mythological sort of elements and... You know, the, the, the first book, Ar 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 Aragorn, was amazing. Brazil mm. was amazing. I'm surprised they didn't make more films, being perfectly honest, because the film was incredible. They're very different to the books, but... Yeah. They're very good, but, yeah. No, no pretty good. Because uh, there was, uh, obviously, a lot of the critics and uh, and readers who were uh, not, uh, not so keen on them, they sort of regarded them as... Uh, well, they more or less um, drew the conclusion that it was the plot of Star Wars blended with the Lord of the Rings-style high fantasy and uh, with a load of dragons involved, essentially. I mean, yeah, now, now, now that you say it, you, could, yeah, you, can, you, can, you can see that, you know. It's a, a group that are hiding out in a remote place somewhere that mm. gets attacked by an evil person, you know. Yes, no, but then again, that's, uh, that could describe so many other... Every fantasy ever, that's, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Again, it's just turning that trope upside down, isn't it? Mm. You gotta find a way to evolve. Yeah, exactly. So, let's talk about your book. Ooh. I was gonna I was gonna sort of save this last segment actually, um, in case it just sort of came up naturally amid the discussion, but uh, seeing as we have you here, I'd like to sort of do a bit more of a QA with yourself as well. Yeah. Um okay. so we're going to talk a bit more about Risen King in more detail. So, sort of, obviously we've met uh, Taron Allaire, um, or you've mentioned him anyway, um, but who is your favourite character to write? I mean, Tar Taron's got, got to be up there as one of the best, but I've had a lot of fun playing with... Um, there's a wizard that's going to be introduced slightly later on called Erizin. Okay. Um, 
and he's, he's going to be quite a mystical character. He's going to pop up every now and then. He's not going to be sort of as focused or as necessarily important as Gandalf was in the Lord of the Rings. But he's definitely going to do, be doing a lot more magic. It's one of the things that I found with Lord of the Rings is there wasn't much magic. He's a wizard, but you never really saw him doing much. Mm. Um, so I've got this character doing way, way, way more. So, you know, there's a scene um, I can talk about, but, you know, they're in an old castle and there's not much lighting. There's candles around the room, but it's a vast space. You know, it's like a throne room. And it's, you know, dead of night and there's not much light. Uh-huh. And he takes off his jacket and it literally erupts into embers that fill the sort of the roof of the room, like starlight and candles and, you know, and he, he, he does things with it. They've got like a map and they've got to locate where their swords come from. I see. So he literally almost sort of plucks a star, almost like Game, Game, Game of Thrones style, where he sort of almost grabs it, but it comes down like a meteorite from the sky, almost like a sign from the heavens. Mm-hmm. It's going to come down and light things up. You know, I want to... I want to in sort of explore that magical, mystical sort of character, but whilst also keeping him very secretive. I don't want to go into too much detail. You know, if I wanted, I could do a completely other story, you know, involving him and sort of his, his origins as a younger man, you know, eons and eons ago. Yeah. But I want him to be sort of very mystical, very sort of you're always questioning him, like, oh, you know, how does he do that, or where did he learn it, and you know, what's his background? Why does again? Why does he? Why does he do the things that he does? Yeah. You know, it's probably the biggest focus is why do the characters do what they do. Um, and definitely with errors in, it's going to be very, very, very secretive. Way more than Taron. Taron, we'll find out slowly. We'll, you know, we'll ring it out. We'll find out why he's the way he is. But errors is going to be very more sort of hidden, shy, and very, very powerful as we'll sort of find out through the books. Mm-hmm. I it's see. It's going to be good fun. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, do you have a favourite scene that you can talk about, or uh, I mean, or a scene that you are looking forward to writing? Yes, I haven't got around to writing it yet. However, there's going to be a very, very interesting cliffhanger at the end. I won't go too much into it. No, of course. Um, There's going to be a a reveal, and it's very much inspired by the Joker. Okay. That does sound interesting. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. The villain of the sort of story is going to take a backseat, especially in the first book. I see. And you're not necessarily going to know that he's there. Um, uh-huh. And still, sort of the penultimate part of the book, so that's very hush hush. Um, <laughs> but but no, definitely sort of the cackle and the insanity that the, the Joker brings has always been something that, as a villain, should be carried forward. You know, he is bat doodle crazy. However, he always knows what's happening. I mean, you look at Heath Ledger's Joker as an example. Mm. He was bat doodle crazy, but he had a plan and he he executed it very well. And I think that's sort mm. of what I want my character to be, where he's very. Very nuts, and he'll, you know, on the, on the surface, he'll be absolutely insane, and you'll be like, "Where is? What's he going to do next? Why is he going to, you know?" It, very confusing, I guess, at, at first, but you know, his sort of motives will sort of uncover, and sort of his actual brains behind it is going to be actually a very intelligent being that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, you know, even dating potentially older than the elves themselves, you know. I see. Which could be quite a fun one to, to sort of experiment with, where you know, if someone's been alive for so long. How much mm. have they seen, and how crazy has it made them? Where are they from? Are they from? You know, are they one of the gods? Are they from hell beneath? Are they, you know, mortal man? You know, it's a very fun one that I'm definitely experimenting with at the moment. So I'll leave that one like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to sort of wait and find out and read as to what his character sort of is or does, but it definitely be a sort of cliffhanger to look out for at the end of the book. I see. I see. And um, I mean, what kind of scenes and/or dialogue do you like writing? Are you very much you know, do you prefer describing quite, you know, having quite lush um, scenery and 
or do you like more argument or you know conversational it's a bit of both really the the, the difficulty when writing and the difficulty sort of definitely for new writers that I've found is as I said earlier coming away from the you know the big three you know you've got George R. R. Martin you've got Tolkien you've got Wright the Witcher who's name escapes me right now but you know you read these books and you love them and you want to sound like one of those writers and one of the things that i found is actually i work better when i'm not sounding like one of those writers you know i otherwise compromise so actually writing in sort of my own style where i can sort of describe the sort of the air and the scene but sort of drag it out a little bit as the characters are doing things you know quite a lot of the time you'll get um, a lot of the information of the scenes sort of up front you know You'll have, you know, the fires blazing. You've got the sky thundering above you, but you, you know you can drag that out and you can introduce more elements and uncover the scene and put more images in your head as the characters are doing things. You know, it's it's one of the tropes that I think has sort of been missed out really, where you know things happen, 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 and I want to sort of cut that and sort of say, hang on a minute, things are evolving as the scene progresses. You know, yeah. things need to change. There needs to be sort of a m- movement, I guess, is the best way to do it because otherwise, if something happens, then you sort of right. That's the scene. Characters are doing this. Mm. It gets very stale. It gets very bland. It gets very sort of stagnant. Yes. Until something you know changes, and that's where the traditional fantasy tropes are. You know, they'll throw a curveball in there, or they'll put a plot twist in there, and that's what keeps the story moving. I want to sort of keep the the movement and flow, or sort of the characters and the scenery pretty natural. You know, I've got a lot of sort of changing sort of uh, seasons, and I want to see the seasons to be very natural. I want it to evolve with the characters. And it's something that I sort of try to write into my novels. So it's very much an elongated thing where, you know, I'll describe a bit of the scene, there'll be some dialogue or, you know, interactions between the characters, and then, you know, towards the end it'll be, you know, finalising the scene or ch- things that have changed from the beginning of the scene to the very end end of the scene. You know, there's going to be plants and stuff, and the plants going to do different things. One of them is going to be like a sort of like a plant-like frog almost, or, you know, like a helium frog. <laughs> and it's going to sort of do, you know, it's going to go from, like, frogs sort of bounding around the ground to where they sort of fill up with helium yeah. towards the end of the scene, and they sort of start glowing. And, you know, it's just weird, quirky things like that, that can evolve through the scenes, which actually I prefer writing about. It's just defeating those common tropes. And trying to sound like a writer, that's probably mm-hmm. the best the best advice that I could give anyone is write like you want to write, mm. not like your sort of famous publishers because at the end of the day if you write like everyone else everyone's gonna be bored <laughs> well yeah exactly i mean it's uh, a unique voice that is kind of the kind of the point really what authors do take inspiration oh well we know that actually i assume that you know the the big three or is there anyone else that you adopt a style from or an inspiration from the only other person and i can say who's written by is Ever since I was little, watching the Star Wars movies, I loved Obi-Wan Kenobi, the evolution that Obi-Wan Kenobi goes through. And there was a Legends book, I can't remember who released it, of sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi on sort of Tatooine during his banishment. I see. And it's probably one of the fastest reads I've ever done in my life. It maybe took me, what, a week to read the book? Oh, right. I I finished school, I'd sit down, I'd light the fire, I'd read the book from literally finishing school till, you know, night. I'd go to bed and then get up the next day, go to school, read the book again. Mm. But the way that that story is written is very, very clever. It tells it from a lot of different points of view, mm-hmm. um, and you sort of feel sorry for all the characters, even necessarily the, the, the villains. You know, it, it goes to a point where you're sort of going from the view of the Tuscan Raiders, and they've never no. been good in the eyes of Star Wars. You know, no. they're, they're, they're bad, bad juju. But you know, you see it from the Tuscan Raiders' point of view, and you sort of go, "Oh, actually, hang on a minute, I, 
yeah, they do what they do for a particular reason. And there's, you know, so there is some inspiration that's come from uh, sort of that writer that I've, I, I, I've loved and tried to carry forward. You know, even the character being de- desolate and alone and being wise. You know, later on, you know, hopefully by book three or you know more books to come. You know, I hope the character gets slightly wiser and to be more like sort of slightly older General Kenobi. You know, so I think mm. it would be quite a fun one to explore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I believe you have brought along the prologue, which you're going to read us uh, before we uh, before we close the episode. Mm, definitely. Excellent. Right. So this is prologue to Ilair, Risen King. Rain hammered, pounded and crashed against the stern walls of the palace. Terrible blast of noise ricocheted all around. The mighty god of thunder was striking hammer upon anvil, angered by the actions of mortal man. The Odin son seized with fury. Read me a book, young Taran urged to his mother as he bound around the bed. The darkness of midwinter had been quick to set in this year. Vengeful passion hung in the branches, its shadow creeping through the window as the power of the gods blazed beyond. And so, what story are we having tonight? A kind yet calm voice filled the room. Taran was captivated by the gentleness and delicate grace of his mother's voice. The cold of the night continued to war and wrap its forbidden hands around the cube. Taran was excited as he wiggled and fidgeted around his sturdy bed before announcing aloud, You know, you know what tale I want. The gracious queen embraced her young prince with a warm grin, protecting and loving. Before disappearing under his covers, Taran let out the cheekiest of giggles, joy filling this side of the castle. The storm was briefly forgotten about by Taran, rain and thunder continuing to batter and lay siege. Slipped under the cowl of his blanket and bed coverings, Taran momentarily hid as the young queen was poised to pounce like a lioness. She hugged and embraced his unbolted pleasure. The queen herself thrilled and ready to read the story. Her refined beauty revealed in the faint light of the candlelit room. Gracefully, her gown dropped off the bed, straightening as she stood. Lightning broke through the air, Thor still angry. The outline of the queen engraved into the very fabric of reality. Momentarily, the queen's attention was attracted to the corner bookcase. The tiny wood-framed window continued to flicker, lightning tearing through the air, the rain never letting up its relentless assault. Tapping and slapping, the young monarch glided across the room. Boom! The storm was getting stronger as a power and energy was erupting through the very schism of reality. The unmatched power of Mjolnir reflecting the priceless gemstones on the Queen's dress. Taran, who had been tamed by his bedding, was frantic as he rapidly fought to free himself from the wicked clutches of his sheets. The Queen was slow and precise, her finger gently bumbling and stumbling over each book, a small layer of dust releasing its gentle hold. Suddenly she stopped abruptly, her hand at a total standstill. The book she pulled on was old and tattered, the binding holding together by a thread. Centuries of wear and tear had taken its toll. Generations of the Allaire family had passed the book down the line. The young queen, dressed in her best silk, sat alongside Taran, book in hand. The prince had just broken through a gap in his sheets when he could gasped for air, cheeks flushed as the queen turned carefully to the first page. Softly she began to read aloud, her voice leaving the sound of the raging storm behind. This is the epic tale of your famous ancestor, King Arid the first of his name and founder of our house. Taran eagerly sat next to his mother for his bedding now sat in a sloppy jumble on the floor. He clung to her every word. As it happens, Arid found himself working as a blacksmith in the vast high elven town of Windermere. The elves here were very different to us. The elves had a higher sense of nobility and less respect for life around. However, after many years of work, Taran met a young elven lady. Behind every legendary character is a strong woman, Delamira, his elven sweetheart. Passions arose of their mutual love, and through this passion and desire, a son was born. Aaron felt driven to accomplish more, to build his family a place of power, uniting the ancient untapped power of both the drakes and the wizards. 
Aerid was able to structure the very castle we live in today. Taran squirmed and bounced around the bed, anticipating the upcoming moment. On one sad day, the brave king of Wooden Spire Castle set out, leaving with little reason or rhyme. The king inexplicably vanished, never to be seen again. Slowly, with the passage of time and the wandering minds of Farion, time came for Aerid's firstborn to take the throne, destined to rule and care for his father's entire kingdom. Rumours came and went, but Taran, without the truth, one can only be misguided. The story distanced itself from the mainstream minds of all creatures. Many kings and queens have come before your father, each attempting to find Aerid's final resting place. Taran sprung to his feet before displaying his fast and exact sword skills, battling his own shadow. When I become king, I'll be the first to unlock his final resting place. The young prince had a determined twinkle in his eye. The storm was beginning to ease, and Mjolnir laid to rest as the young queen picked the covers from the floor before tucking Taran into bed. The young queen passing a subtle wink followed by a loving smile. Of course you are, my sweetheart. You are the very best of us. I love you, Tarrant, and I'll be here for you. She spoke with a soft tone as she kissed the young prince on the head. With noble majesty, the queen turned and walked to the door before she paused and turned. I'll be here for you, always. And there we go. That's that's my prologue. That's that sounds still, fantastic. <laughs> still a, a, a lot to do, a lot to work on, but of in this course. current stage... It's uh, not too shabby. I'm happy to put that one out there at the minute. Mm. Well, no, at the end of the day, this is uh, this isn't just a show for for completely published authors. This is for for writers at all stages mm. of their of their working process. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds brilliant from uh, from that already, and I I look forward to hearing more. Well, Dan, thank you ever so much for joining me today on the show, and uh, and best of luck with the rest of the writing process. Thank you very much. I mean, you'll you'll, you'll be the first one to know when it's done. I'll get you a copy. Oh, uh, but it's a long way off still. So wait and see. I'll keep you updated, and then we'll see where it goes from there. No, please do, please do. And fantasy author Daniel Pride there. In addition to his literary ambitions, Dan is also a photographer, and I highly recommend you follow Silver Eden Photography on Instagram. I would also be remiss if I didn't plug my own work. Both of my novels, The Barrowford Scandals, Lust and Liberty and Sin and Secrecy, are available in paperback and on Kindle via Amazon. And if you would like to appear on the show or know someone who might, or indeed if there's anything you'd like to suggest as a topic or theme, do get in touch with us via the Dale Hurst author channels. The Dale Hurst Writing Show is a fortnightly podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and otherwise follow the Dale Hurst author channels on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube to keep up with updates relating to the show. Until next time, though, bye for now.